And take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 1. And by the way, uh, uh, children, we had the three to five-year-olds. Some of those don't know that now. We had three to five-year-olds actually in the extended care room. And then, of course, the older, uh, the junior kids, I guess we call them, uh, but uh, they're upstairs in the youth room. And so just if you're wondering, where are all these kids going to? That's where they go to when they uh, uh, go out of here on Sunday evening before the sermon. Otherwise, they go to sleep. <laughs> they try to get to sleep before the parents do, but they, you know how that is. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, this morning we asked you, have you heard from uh, God lately? You know, we just want to know, what have you, has God spoken to you lately? Tonight I want to look at, hey, who are you talking to? So I want you to think about that. And again, I've been reading Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. It's actually the base for something as we move on. And that, you'll see it, but not tonight. Okay? You'll see it, but not tonight. But I like to have a basis for something uh, before we move on. Uh, but here it says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse matters spake in time past, unto the fathers by the prophets. Now again, God speaks to us in certain ways, but there'll never ever be Him talking to you that will in any way at all contradict the Word of God nor excuse disobeying the Word of God. Never will that be. He says that He hath in these last Days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also the worlds were made, uh, he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his Son, of his person, shall I say and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. I don't like to get ahead of myself sometimes, but I do, but just the express image of his person, the brightness of his glory. Now, the word glory is, has a definition of bright, shiny, and he is the express image, the shining of his person, the very individual, who God is. That is Jesus Christ. He shows us the Father in himself, in his humanity. Not forgetting, we don't worship three gods, but we worship God as what we call the Trinity, three divine persons in one divine essence, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Well, let's have a word of prayer, then we'll get started into our message tonight. Lord, I ask tonight that you be the one that just really guides in this message. Lord, I realize that as I preach, it'll come short of the glory and the power which you deserve, Lord, to be honored with. And yet, Lord, you are the all-glorious, all-powerful, almighty God. So, Lord, 
I pray that as we get ready to partake of the supper in remembrance of the one who purged ourselves from our sins, who purged us, and is now sat down on the right hand of the throne on high of the majesty of the Father, making intercession night and day for us. That precious blood on the mercy seat of God. Such an emblem. Such a special, special thing of, of what he did for us. And Lord, forgive me and forgive anyone in this auditorium who knows Christ as Savior. If the shed blood of Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, having the outpouring of the Almighty Father's wrath upon his human spirit, if that ever just becomes a cold fact that we believe and it doesn't stir our emotions, then please forgive us and help us to get those things right with God that it once again stirs our hearts in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. As I said earlier, we preached this morning that, uh, and asked, what has God said to you lately? What has He said to you lately? Uh, you know, we talk to people. We talk to different ones. And yet, it's God to whom we are supposed to be speaking but he speaks to us as we let individuals speak to us. He speaks to us as well through his word and through, we was telling you this morning, through the reading of his word, through exhortation, preaching, and simply just by his spirit giving you that direction, impressing on your heart. It was so important to get to know his voice in your heart, knowing that it will never never contradict the Word of God. Now, we get together with people, and we'll talk with them about different things. For example, we might talk about politics. We might talk about uh, problems that we're having in our lives. We may talk about, if you're men, sometimes we'll talk about sports. Uh, you might talk about fishing, hunting. I mean, I crossed the line, I guess, one day. I mean, this is when I first took over as pastor. I'd been pastoring here for about a year as the senior pastor, and one Sunday it was, it was hunting season. And I said, you know, uh, if you're going to choose hunting over the Lord, I know the Lord's not first in your life. Uh, you can go hunting on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. Well, I got to work then. Yeah. Uh, so work is much more important than God is, isn't it? Well, I kind of use that idea. I mean, I, I, I use that idea uh, to show how ignorant that is to say that. This guy was upset. He left the church. I don't think he ever come back. Because I preached about hunting on Sunday. You know, and I think about that. If he appears, when he appears before the Lord one day, uh, he'll say, you heard it. You heard it, and you rejected it. You heard it, 
but you rejected it. So uh, that's just uh, the things. We do talk to people about these various things, though, and uh, there are various areas uh, that we will talk to people about. It might be a problem that we're going through in our lives presently. You may be having a problem in your home, in your marriage, or in some other way, on the job. And it's as if, well, I really would rather talk to these people. And we'll say something to the Lord about it sometimes in prayer. But we're really not looking to His Word to find out what He has to say about it. We're not searching His Word to see what He'd have us to do. And so as a result, we end up making a mess of things in our life because we're listening to the wrong person. You see, you can talk to people that are knowledgeable in a certain area. And the advice they give you may not be bad as far as the world is concerned. It might be good as far as the world is concerned. There is a worldly wisdom. But there's a higher wisdom that is God's wisdom. And so, what they give you will not be godly, it will not be righteous, and it will not lead to honoring the Lord. Rather, it will honor the flesh. As I told you, knowing the Word of God, I remember years ago hearing a preacher preach on the, uh, on the radio as I was driving down the road, and as I got near to the end of the, he got near to the end of that day's preaching, he said, I may have a bottle of wine in my refrigerator. I'm not going to tell you if I do or I don't, but what I want you to know is that you, I have the liberty to do so. And, of course, as the more I thought about that, I, I actually uh, listened to the end of the, uh, the program to get a, how to contact that place. I contacted him, got a, uh, back then it was a, cassette tape, got a cassette tape of the entire sermon, and it was far worse than what I heard on the radio. And it was interesting to me, because the mistake, I mean, what he preached has really spread to this present ear more strongly than it was back then, and that is to apply liberty or grace to the flesh instead of the Spirit being freed from those things. Jude 4 calls it turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. And so that's what he was doing, and he was turning that all to the flesh. But I, I learned from that. I learned how the world is thinking, and that made me go back to Galatians chapter 5 that he was preaching from the time, and just really study that through again and find so much more in the way of righteousness and true holiness. You see, when we got saved, we put on a new man. A new man. We don't have the old man. We've got the new man. Don't feed the old nature. It doesn't need food. Feed on the Word of God. Get to know Him. So, we discuss the real issues of life many times with a spouse. Maybe it's a real close friend. And you may agree or disagree, but the point is, you are a Christian, and you're depending 
upon something that is troubling you, a problem being solved by a friend's counsel whom you highly respect. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, of having a friend that is a godly friend, make sure they're a godly friend. But even, look, Paul said the people at Thessalonica, at Berea, were more noble than those at Thessalonica in that they searched the Scriptures to see if those things were so that he was preaching. Now, it's hard for me to fathom that in my mind. The apostle Paul is preaching. And I'm checking the Scriptures to see if he knows what he's talking about. If he's got it right. The Bible tells us that was noble to do so. They wouldn't be sure it lined up with the Word of God. So whether this preacher or any other preacher gives you counsel, and they may mention a Scripture, and it will sound good, but seek the whole counsel of God. Because sometimes the Scripture can be taken out of context or it can be applied in the wrong direction. So make sure you uh, check the Word of God. So who are you talking to about the real issues of life? The issues that when you're driving a car down the road it all of a sudden comes to your mind and you begin to think about it. I guess if you could say there's a good thing, there's not, but there was a good thing about talking to other people and they give their advice and you follow it and it falls so you can blame them. But if you follow the advice of God and it, it won't fall, but if it falls it's because you fell. You see, do God's will, God's way. Now, what you consider falling may not be falling when it's from God. Sometimes God has a different will than what you thought it should be. We don't tell God what He's supposed to do. He tells us what we are supposed to do. I was uh, telling you this morning about counseling new couples that are getting preparing for marriage. And one of the things I do counsel them is that as you go along and marriage has problems, don't do like a majority of the ones that I have to deal with do. He's not doing that. He's not doing that. Or guess what? She's, she's not doing this. She's not doing that. And they're talking about the vows they made. And he's not living up to She's not living up to hers. And invariably, I will tell them, uh, you're more concerned and you're watching them closely to see if they're keeping their part. And really, when you said better or worse, sickness, health, spiritual or poor, till death do us part, that you would love, honor, and cherish till death do you part, then you do your part whether they do or not. One of the things I'll usually slip in there, if your spouse is unfaithful, people, a lot of Christians say, well, the Bible gives me a right to divorce that person, but really, uh, yeah, there's something about that, but the, the, the truth of the matter is, God wants your marriage to stay together. And so, the truth of the matter is, instead of checking to see if that person is, you're going to love them, even if they're not keeping their part of the deal. You're, you're, you are loving them. Now, you don't endorse wrong, but you love them, and you pray for them all the more.
Okay, that is uh, talking to God. But when you talk to man, you're not going to get that. You're not going to get that. Man is going to have a different way. And man usually will say, well, hey, that was good back in the 50s and 60s, but that's no good today. Matter of fact, now I hear, well, that was good back in the 80s and 90s, but it's not today. And I don't know if they're talking about the 1880s or the 1980s, but uh, is still the Word of God is not controlled by the culture. You don't adjust the Word of God by the culture. If you do, you'll corrupt the Word of God. Second Corinthians, the apostle warned of that. He said, we're not as those who corrupt the Word of God in the way they preach it and apply it, and you see that going on today. So, you get to depending more on a problem being solved on others, and that means that you're really lacking in your love and in your trust for God. You're lacking in your relationship. You're lacking in your walk with God. Basically, if you are saved and you're not walking in His Word, you're not walking the way a Christian is supposed to walk. Remember Ephesians 4, 22-24, where it tells us to put off the old man, put on the new man that is created in righteousness and true holiness. I mean, that is the goal for the local church. Every individual believer walking in righteousness and true holiness. Sometimes, now people don't realize this, and if they did, they'd probably shake their head even more. But when people say, look, y'all got to do something about those standards you have at your church or at your school, either way. You got to do something. Man, those, those standards, you're going to chase people away and all that. It's, yeah, the world hates our standards because they're biblical standards. The world hates it. But it's kind of a time, if you're walking with the Lord, the Lord's allowed somebody like that to give you a testimony. Now, it's partly to try you to see if that's going to make you back down. But it's also a compliment to say, hey, you're walking right and great is your reward. So you just walk with God. Let him mock. You will never be the first person that was ever mocked for walking in righteousness and true holiness. There are people who died for this faith. There's a saying, keep the faith. That means keep sound doctrine and live by it. Keep the faith. And so, make sure your relationship, your walk with God is what it ought to be because sometimes God has to sit down like a father. Remember when you receive Christ your Savior? Now, God is the Father. He's the Father. And when you receive Him, but as many as received Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God, even them that believe on His name. As a child of God, He is your Father. And so we read this in Hebrews chapter 12, the same book that we're in, verses 5 through 8. And ye have forgotten the exhortation. Now remember this morning we read in Timothy, give attendance to exhortation. Well, sometimes exhortation comes through a preacher or Sunday school teacher's mouth. 
evangelist. Sometimes it comes through your personal reading of the Word of God. And so, ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son. Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint, don't quit, when thou art rebuked of him. Sometimes when the chastening hand of God comes upon people, those troubles mount up, boy, it just seems like a trouble. Sometimes people quit. Well, boy, God didn't do me. God, God abandoned me. Oh, God didn't help me. God, if, if he loved me so much, he wouldn't allow that to happen in my life. Maybe it's you. You know, sometimes Christians can do things that affects their family, it affects uh, friends, it affects others. And we, they can start to say, well, that shouldn't have happened to me. God shouldn't have allowed him to do that. Some of us, if we, God did whatever thing that we think that God should do, everybody in this church right now would probably be dead. So that doesn't really work that way. We don't tell God what to do. Sometimes we forget His long-suffering and mercy. He goes on to say, For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom He receiveth. Now, chasteneth. Have you ever done something, said something, do something, and all of a sudden there's that conviction just hits you right there. Man, you knew it was wrong. Lord, I'm sorry. You know, the Holy Spirit, you're saved. You got the Spirit of God, and you knew that it was wrong. Lord, I'm sorry. That shouldn't have happened. One man was telling me, you know, before I'm saved, you know, I'm, everything's cussing, everything's this, everything's that. And when you get angry, you let out some words you shouldn't let out. He says, there's been a time or two where I've had a, something happen all of a sudden and let out a cuss word. But he says, you know what, after I do it, I feel so bad. He says, I just, right there on the spot, say, Lord, forgive me. I thought, you know, that's pretty good. That's pretty good to at least say, I know that's wrong. Forgive me. The Lord is chastening him. Our parents used to say, all right, settle down right now, or. They don't have to describe what or is. You know what or is. You know what or is. So, so you don't have to describe that. And there's a chasing. Sometimes you feel bad. A uh, parent looks at your report card. They say, I'm so disappointed in you. You don't want to hear that. You know, Dad, look at my report card. He says, well, one D and four Fs. You're concentrating too much on one subject. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we have those things that, that hit us like that, and it is just like a, a knife coming in. I, I did this when I was a teenager. I'm not going to give you all the details about it, but uh, a friend and I, <clears throat> drug an outhouse out into the middle of the beach drive down in Bradenton, Florida. 
Now, there's some other things that we did that night, too, that, that were not good as far as doing some things that we shouldn't do. But we thought that was funny. When I was talking to the police officer, it wasn't funny. And I had, because my parents were out of town, they, I thought, boy, oh, no. We got away with this. We was having fun that night. My parents were out of town. And boy, I got in trouble. Boy, did I get in trouble. About a month or two later, my dad was going away. And I knew my mom always stayed at home when he went away. And when they got away together, that was a great thing because she rarely got to get away. And a few months later, uh, dad was supposed to go up somewhere for something. And it was a special thing. And for her to go was the right thing. It was a good thing. But she wasn't going. And I, I remember hearing him discuss it, and I said, Mom, you ought to go. You ought to go. And with tears in her eyes, I mean, those tears welled up. She says, Son, I'd like to go, but I can't trust you when we're gone. You know what? She could have taken a butcher knife and plunged it in and turned it over about five or ten times, and it wouldn't hurt that much as what that hurt. I mean, wow. I realized how important that was to her. And sometimes the chastening hand of God has to be upon us for us to straighten out. But the word scourgeth, he said, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. The word scourgeth, going back from the Greek and so forth and following it through, it meant to flog with a whip. That's what it meant. And so that is lay the belt to them. Let them have it. Let them have it good. Now, he says, if ye endure chastening, ye endure this. God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? If you can live in sin, you can have a habitual sin in your life that you're doing over and over again, regardless of what it is. Now, look, I've had some people say, if you get truly saved, you will sin, but you will not commit a habitual sin. Well, I've seen people that got saved, and they continued to smoke. So were they not saved? Well, smoking is not as bad a sin as... No. God doesn't say, well, this is really bad, so, oh, you're in trouble. But a lot of times they take the Greek tense and say, well, it's this idea of, of, uh, of the present tense, which is it's ongoing. Yes. Ongoing sin in our life without conviction, without those things, probably not saved. And if you can go in sin and you get deeper into sin and, and there is no chastening, at first you feel guilty about it. But you know what? Unsaved people feel guilty when they've hurt somebody. Yes, the chastening is that guilt feeling. But then you move on from that to the scourging. Sometimes it's physical 
Sometimes it might be your job, your health, your home, and you've lost it all before you finally wake up and get things right with God. And there may be some things that just can't be straightened out. Oh, they could be straightened out if God wanted to, but now He's decided to let you carry this because if you carry it and you don't quit, that gives you the opportunity to build up eternal reward and show I didn't like getting the chasing and the scourging of God, but I do love the fact that He's forgiven me, He loves me, and He uses me. He actually uses me. That, that is the good hand of the Lord, and that is the right attitude. So, if he be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, he says, then, in verse 8, are ye bastards and not sons. That is, illegitimate. Not legitimate. If you are saved, you will be chastened or scourged if you continue in sin. And if you continue in those sins, and you know their sin, you know it's wrong, and you continue in those things, and there is no chastening, there is no scourging by God, then my friend, that is where you question, are you really saved? Now, I've had people that have gone through some bad things, and I knew sins they were in were terrible, bad. And yet, they were going through all this scourging. I mean, some bad things in their life. I knew it was a result of their sin. They knew it was a result of their sin. And one of the first things I wonder, am I really saved? Well, I like the fact that they realize that a Christian doesn't act that way. Even though I received Christ, I, I've gotten so far from Him. Am I really saved? And we have to talk to them through the Word of God. But then there are those who have, well, at least I'm saved. And there's no scourging. There's no chastening. Well, I'm saved. I shouldn't do that. I'll probably lose reward in heaven, but hey, I'm, I'm all right. I, I asked a, a, a married man one time, he was a younger guy, but I just said, hey, look, you've got children. I says, is your spiritual life worth ought to be right now. Are you sure about your spiritual life? I'm not just talking about are you saved. I'm talking about are you right with God and really living for Him? Yeah, I really am. I said, okay, so one of your children was in the hospital, and you've heard me use that illustration, and God, and the doctor comes out and says, only prayer will save him. We've done all we can do. Only prayer will save him now. Do you have power with God that He would hear you? Oh, yes. Now, I knew better, and I knew He was lying to me. Or he was lying to himself, whichever. Ultimately, it's lying to God. But what I'm saying is, is that, where are you? Just who are you talking to? You see, you have all this contemporary music that goes on. You have all these standards where now you have churches that are giving away tickets to go to the movies and to see all that filth. Give away tickets if you'll just come to church. 
and they have all these other things going on. Well, this makes it all right because it's in church and we're preaching the gospel to them. Yeah, they're preaching an easy believism gospel. It's without repentance. And so what happens? The devil, who is cunning, is able to convince them that this is all right. This is good. There was a church up in Chattanooga that I knew about that um, I, I knew a guy that was involved there and all, all that. And I asked a question, I says, um, what, what do you do about the things that are going on today and with those that, uh, ought, that may be deacons, may be teaching or whatever? What, how, how do you handle that? He says, the policy in our church is don't ask, don't tell. That, that's true what he said. That's even before Bill Clinton said it, you know. I thought, wow. And that is justified in their minds. And so, they're turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. And so, that is not victory in Jesus. So, who are you talking to daily? And what kind of answers are you getting? Are they from the Word of God? Victory is in Jesus. But that victory must come from your walk with God. So I ask you again, what kind of a walk do you have with God? Is it what it ought to be? Who are you talking to? Really. You may have a close friend who's a good godly friend. And that's good to have a good godly friend. We're to edify one another. So it's good to have a good godly friend and listen to counsel. But make sure you check counsel. If it, was, if it was a good thing to check the Apostle Paul preaching the Word of God by the Scripture, it's good to check your friends who are not the Apostle Paul and make sure that that counsel lines up with the Word of God. Because continuing in sin will never please God, and if you're one of His, it'll only bring the chastening hand of God or the scourging if you continue therein. Tonight, we're observing the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. That is talking about that one who purged us from our sin. That one that Hebrews 12 tells us he despised he despised I mean the cross he despised it but he endured it for the joy that was set before him other words in his humanity he knew that he had a purpose, and that was to come and to die for the sins of men. He would have the, on his human spirit the outpoured almighty wrath of God upon his human spirit. 
No wonder he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because in the desert, in the desert, when Satan was tempting his humanity, he fought him with the word of God, but after the devil leaves him, angels are sent to minister. But not until the trial was over. In Gethsemane, he's on his knees and, and, and he is sweating drops, huge drops as if it were blood. They're so huge and thick. And he says, Father, if it be possible, let this hour pass from me. That was the real feelings that you and I would have in doing the will of God. And when it's at the most critical point, the hardest that you're ever been hit. Why, Lord? And boy, Jesus left us an example. He said, if it's possible, but nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. That showed us in our humanity commitment to the purpose God has for our life. It's a bad thing. Maybe <clears throat> some people feel better if I say it's an unfortunate thing. So it's an unfortunate bad thing. Okay. For us to appear as saved people at the judgment seat of Christ one day and find out he had a special purpose for our life. And he does. You know when Ephesians 2, 10 says, for we are his workmanship. What does that follow? Verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of work, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that you should walk in them. Before you were saved, before you were even thinking about what does God want me to do, He had a purpose for your life, a will, you might say, that He wanted you to fulfill and serve. And too many of the tears at the judgment seat of Christ will be because they didn't know that they had that call of God on their lives because they didn't pursue it. They talked to the wrong people instead of talking to God. This morning we asked, has, has God spoken to you lately? Well, He may want to answer you, but you're not speaking to Him. You're not in His Word. You're not really seeking Him except as a genie in the lamp to fulfill what your flesh desires. That's the trouble a lot of us have as Christians. So tonight before we partake of that supper, I don't know what your sin is and I'm not your judge. But you know in your heart, you know in your mind, even if your spouse doesn't know, even if your best friend doesn't know, in your mind, 
you know because you're saved and the Spirit of God has brought that to your heart and mind. Maybe ashamed of it. Maybe you feel you just can't have victory over it. Well, that's to doubt the power of God. That's the thing that you don't have victory over is because we're not walking with God as we ought to walk. We're not in His Word. The Word is not important enough for each day to be partaking of the food of God's Word. So tonight, you know, one of the things that uh, all of you had that we all had, I mean, all of us had it growing up. Hey, come and eat. Supper's ready. Oh, stop, young man. Go back and wash your hands. Man, I've had them in my mouth all day, grabbing things off the ground and everything else, you know. But wash those hands. This is the Lord's table. That juice. That juice that has no alcohol in it because that's a picture of sin. The picture of that which decays. It is a picture of leaven, which is a picture of sin. Unleavened bread. A holy body and holy blood is what it took to pay our penalty. Why not come tonight? You don't have to come and tell me your sins. Tell it to Jesus. Before we partake of this supper tonight, why not use it as a time to get your hands clean? Why not use it as a time to get things right with God? But let me say one more thing. You can be religious but not saved. True religion, pure religion, undefiled before God is to visit the fatherless and the afflicted in the orphans, you know, and so forth in their affliction. The world does that, but they're not necessarily saved. I mean, there's a call for the, oh, you've got to help the poor, you've got to help this, got to help that. Yeah, but it's religion. And it's a good thing. But you can be very religious and not saved. If you're living in sin and the chastening and the scourging of God is not there, that scourging comes, I think, after the chastening because you, the chastening didn't work. You did that growing up. Your parents warned you, warned you, and warned you. That was that rebuke, 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 and then the scourging because the rebuke wouldn't work with you. Don't allow your life to get to the point where the rebuke doesn't work with you. And if you're living in sin and you know it and there's no chastening or scourging by God, then my friend, get saved tonight. Get saved tonight. Let's bow our heads, please.